0: Well, good morning again. Yep, thank you. Seven of you who said that? Uh, I it was it's hard to know whether to respond to that or not. Hey, at Grace Point Church, um, recently we've been talking a lot about our core values, the things that drive us as a church, and we've, we've uh, revised them here recently. And one of those core values that we talk about is up here now, and that is, the, we say this, the fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day. By that we mean that what is wired within us to pursue things such as reputation, money, significant relationships, power, um, those things that drive us and move us are placed there by God, but in the process of living, our brokenness, our sinfulness, our humanity kind of We'll always turn that and twist that. And instead of pursuing power to serve people, we pursue power so we can be served by others. Instead of pursuing money so we can support and serve, we pursue money so we can get better and bigger what we do. That there's a broken element to our humanity and that we were going to say that the fullness of what God offers beats the brokenness of our pursuits any day. And with each core value, we offer a question for us to ask and answer. And the question on this statement is simply this. What do my desires tell me about my heart? What do my desires tell me about my heart? In other words, if I were to stop and think about it, what do I really want more than anything? What do I really want more than anything? And once we start answering that question with anything else besides, I want to know my God more than anything, then we've already entered into the the brokenness of our humanity. And to be honest, we're all there, right? To be honest, there are seasons of life where if I were honest in answering this question, it is not, man, I just want to know God. It's more like, I want to finish school. Like, I want to get a job. I want to get married. There's seasons of life where we go through and we kind of have to check that and say, man, what is it that I really desire right now? This summer, we're going to be going through a, a new teaching series, and today marks the kickoff to that. And it's based off of this core value, the fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day. And there's a, there's a section of Scripture that I believe will take and kind of gather men's reflections on brokenness and fullness in a, in a way that, that, that no other portion of Scripture does. There's a section of Scripture that when we look at it, we find um, consistent, thorough, honest um, reflections on the brokenness of humanity and the fullness of God. We find men who are wrestling um, with with feeling very inferior and that their life doesn't matter. We, we see men who are cursing their enemies and just wishing God would take care of them. We see, we see um, people who are, are saying, God, um, I, I've really sinned and blown it here, and no one else knows it but you, and how do I get it? right. We see people who are struggling with, God, are you even present? Are you around in this season of life that I'm in? We see people on the positive side who are saying, man, God, life is going really well right now. I just can't help but praise you and thank you for all that you've done. We see this collection of reflections on the fullness of God and man in his brokenness entering into a relationship with God at his point of brokenness, not at a a plateau or or a, a level where it's it's fake or plastic or just, yeah, God is good and all the time, all the time God is good. Yeah, but I really hate life right now. These are people who are engaging sincerely with God at their point of brokenness. So this new series that we're um, entering into, I'm calling 150. And the reason I'm doing that, this is a collection of man's greatest reflections on the fullness of God, as the subtitle suggests. The reason I'm doing that, if you're a Bible person, you might already kind of be thinking what part of the Bible um, reflects the uh, the these kind of things that I'm talking about. And really, the book of Psalms is what I'm talking about. The, the Psalms are a collection of 150 different Psalms. And within all of these Psalms are a whole wide variety of emotion that is expressed before God, of, of human interaction, of human failing, brokenness, and sin, and victory, reflecting against the full and complete God. And this is for our, anytime that I'm speaking this summer, this is where I'm going. I'm going to be jumping into a few of the Psalms. I'm just covering six of the Psalms this summertime. So if you do your math, we're like, we're in a series called 150. This could last about three years. Okay. I'm not going to do that. We're going to just do six, and that means there's 144 that I'm not going to cover. Uh, so uh, the reason I'm calling it 150 is because I want us to kind of keep having it driven home. There's 150 of these. There's a whole pool of resources available to you and to me to look at, to read, and engage, and to find, find God at the point of our brokenness, and we're only looking at six. Now, when I sit down and look at the book of Psalms, there's 150, and I have to decide which am I going to do. And you know what? I just decided on six. Why? Because I did. Okay, when you're the pastor, you can decide on what six you want to speak on. I just felt like these six. Now, these six that I picked were um, kind of a reflection. um, They all have a different emphasis. Um, They all are kind of taken from different sections in the Psalms, and they are coming each from six different points of view that I think reflect, in general, the general tenor of the book of Psalms. And so we're going to go there. Now, to begin... We're going to begin actually in the place where a young Thomas Jefferson began. If you can put yourself back in time to 1776, this young man at the time, Thomas Jefferson, has been tasked to, to sit down and write um, what we now know of as the Declaration of Independence. Amazing task, actually, when you think about it, not knowing the future of our country as it stands today. And here is this this young British man who is now saying, I'm going to write this out, and by the time I'm done with it, I will no longer be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm declaring independence from my home country. And the Declaration of Independence is pretty long, but there's a section of it that we all know, right? And that is, what do we know? We know, the beginning section, well, it's actually after the introduction, the preamble, that we hold these truths to be self-evident. Does it sound familiar? That all men are created what? Equal. And that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. not that awesome? Thomas Jefferson, it's amazing to think about a young man writing that, statement right there an incredibly powerful statement something that no one had ever verbalized to that point we hold these truths to be self-evident if you were just to look you would see it too that that our creator god has endowed upon all humanity certain unalienable rights and that among them are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness it's actually a theological statement in a governmental document jefferson uses that to go on to say the government shall serve these purposes the government's job is to serve the people in their pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But nonetheless, it's a theological statement, which I can't really argue with. My human experience is not unlike yours. The people that I know, and myself included, pursue happiness. We pursue, by and large, the things that will make us feel satisfied. I mean, it doesn't take me long to convince you of that, I don't think. There's a reason that you went to the school that you went to. There's a reason you didn't go to school when you had a choice, right? There's a reason that you're taking the job that you've taken. Some of you, it's like, I don't like my job. Yeah, you may not like your job, but you like the paycheck on your job because you use the money that you like to buy things that you like, right? There's a reason that you're dating people or not dating people, right? Because I, like, I don't like them. I do, I'm pursuing happiness over here. There's a reason that you're sitting here this morning instead of somewhere else. Because somewhere in there, you're either here to support somebody, you're here to explore, or you're here to figure out, I kind of work, want to worship God, and that's a part of what I pursue as satisfying and fulfilling in my life, and I believe God wants that for me. You're raising kids in a certain way, and you believe that you're helping them pursue their own happiness and satisfaction by finding that in God. We pursue things. Some of us have hobbies that we just enjoy. All of us have hobbies. Whether that's gardening, sewing, scrapbooking, biking, running. Some people like running. I don't know why people like running. Some people like running. We do things, and we don't, I don't know why everybody does what they do. But, but it doesn't take long for us to see that our lives, just everything about them, almost every moment of our day, tends to revolve around finding things or doing things that kind of bring fulfillment or happiness to our life. We don't always talk about it that way, but it's just generally true. But here's the problem with that. The problem in terms of our brokenness is that, have you ever had regret? Regret. Have you ever looked back on a decision that in the moment you're like, this makes sense, this is going to make me, and you may not say it this way, this is going to make me happy, this is going to make me fulfilled, this will keep me moving along um, in the positive direction, and then you look back six months or a year later and you're like, that was a bad decision. If any of you wonder about that, you can just look back on your wedding pictures if you've been married for more than ten years and realize, man, did I really do that with my hair? Like, I thought that was a good idea, that's not a good idea, I have regret. Um, I wonder about that, too. I really have hair to do that with. That was amazing. Anyone have that regret? You look back and you say, why did I buy that car? Why did I buy that house? Why did I eat that second dessert at the wedding reception that I had? Right? I mean, why did I do that? Anyone ever have regret for decisions you make? And you see heads nodding. You say, yeah. We've all experienced that. Isn't that funny? Isn't that an interesting conundrum? Because we think, by and large, we're smart enough to make decisions that will help us pursue happiness. I got this one. I got this decision. But mixed into our human experience is this little problem called regret. And it's a reflection of our sinful problem. That is, we have a limited perspective. We think it's a good idea to date that person in high school. And then three months later, you're like, what was I thinking? Mom and dad were right. Like, I shouldn't have done that. What's wrong with me? And let's break up. And then all kinds of regret comes on the back end of that. Why did I take that job? Seriously, why did I move to Omaha or North Dakota or whatever? You know What was I thinking? And you look back with regret on a decision that we make. And regret introduces a reality to all of us that we have to wrestle with. And that is we are not as smart as we think we are to make all the decisions that we think we can make that will continue to help us pursue happiness. And so we are in a situation where we have to figure out how do we continue to grow and pursue happiness, fulfillment, meaning in life when I know that I can't be trusted as a primary decision maker because regret is a part of all of our lives. And this is part of the brokenness of humanity, a lack of perspective that we have on the future. We can't see what is to come. And this is part of our problem. Enter Psalm one, The first Psalm that we're looking at today. And in Psalm 1, God speaks, I believe, to this very condition. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there to the book of Psalms, chapter 1, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible or don't own a Bible and you're sitting in one of our pews here this morning, uh, you're welcome to grab a Bible and uh, just really flip to like the middle of that Bible and you will find the book of Psalms. Like I said, there's 150 Psalms and we're going to land on the first one, Psalm chapter 1. It really is a, a setup for the entire um, collection of Psalms, the entire book of Psalms. It's a great um, preview book for the whole, uh, or preview Psalm for the whole book, but Psalm chapter 1. Um, and by the way, if you don't own a Bible and you're grabbing one of our pew Bibles, that is our gift to you this morning. You can take that and have that as our gift to you. Now, the first four words of Psalm chapter 1 tell us what this whole thing is about. so so let's let's say this together i'm reading from the niv i'm going to be reading from the niv the first four words we're going to do this one together you ready one two three blessed is the man so it's about men and not women no that's not true not true this is man general humanity in general okay and so men and women blessed is the man isn't that an interesting way to begin That word, blessed, is this word that means satisfied, fulfilled, and it also has the meaning of happy, not in the sense of being, responding to circumstances that are high or low, but rather this this happiness or joy that comes. Blessed is the man, not unlike what Thomas Jefferson would have said. We all pursue happiness, don't we? I don't like what you all agreed with not too long ago. Yeah, we kind of do pursue fulfillment and satisfaction. And so we begin, if you want to pursue happiness, if you want to pursue fulfillment, what do I do? And, and the Psalm, psalmist begins right away, hey, fulfilled is the man, satisfied is the man, happy is the man. And so then the question becomes, happy or satisfied is a man who what? And the entire psalm then opens up and explains the rest of this. So if you ever have an interest, if you ever have an interest in your life in making the right decisions and doing the right things and taking a life plan that actually makes sense and is productive and positive in life that you feel fulfilled and satisfied in and you want to know, where do I go? Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who what? Check it out. Blessed is the man, then it continues, who does not walk in the council of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Interesting beginning. Blessed is the man, and then the psalmist explains negatively what this means right away. Blessed is the man who does not do something, who does not stand in the council. excuse me, does not walk in the council of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. You'll notice the progression there. You can almost see you can envision someone walking down the street who's walking in the, the path and they're, they're, first of all, hearing what's going on. They're kind of hearing the conversation of the quote-unquote wicked. We're going to define wicked in a minute. But they hear general conversation of, of people, whoever they are. But they're walking by. They don't really stop and listen, but they hear it, and they're kind of walking by. And then the progression of the psalmist goes further. Blessed mean, it doesn't walk in the council or stand in the way of sinners, meaning now that person has gone from, I heard that advice, I heard that perspective, it's interesting, I'm going to kind of step into that room a little bit, and I'm just going to kind of stand, I'm going to be a wallflower, but I'm going to observe, and now I've gone from hearing advice to listening to it. And then he goes further and says, now imagine that same person walking into that room, walking down the street, hearing it, then listening to it, and then saying, yeah, it's a good place to sit. Can someone bring me a drink? I'm going to sit down and stop moving and engage. I'm going to take the advice of the wicked. I'm going to take the advice of mockers. I'm going to take the advice of sinners, whoever they are. We're going to define them in a minute. So the psalmist says right away, blessed are you. If you don't walk by and and hear the advice of the wicked and then listen to it and begin to think about it and then do it. Blessed are you if you don't do that. Well, then the question becomes, then what do I do? And the first thought is, well, verse 2, it says here, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. My first impression would be, if the psalmist is writing this and he says, blessed are you if you're walking down the street and you hear counsel and all that that's, that's against the word of God, that's against God's desire, that the best thing to do is just avoid bad people. And I mean, I don't know who hasn't been taught that yet. No matter what you believe, everybody has people they think are good, bad, moral, immoral, whatever. Just avoid the people who will corrupt your character. And if that's all it is, that's what the psalmist should say. If you're walking down the street and you're, you're walking and you're standing and you're sitting in the council of these people, then the answer to get over that is just don't go down the street. Avoid bad people. Avoid immoral people. Avoid those who are going to lead you astray. But that's not where he goes. He said, no, no. It's more than just avoiding bad, whatever that means, bad people, quote-unquote. Rather, it is taking in something else. And he says in verse 2, but his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. This, this is kind of the heart of the psalm itself. In fact, you could take from verse 1 to verse 2 and separate all the other words and just say, blessed is the man, that's our first four words, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Put them together, that's the psalm right there. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Um, when the psalmist is writing this, people don't have what you and I have now, and that is they don't have a personal copy of the scriptures available to them. They definitely don't have the U version app on their smartphone. They don't have they don't have the access the, the New Testament. Not even a thought. Not even a thought. All that they have, in fact, the psalmist here is talking simply about the first five books of the Bible. He says, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That is literally the Torah. That is the Hebrew word that is used here. Whose delight is in the Torah, in the law of the Lord. We have to put ourselves in the context of the people who are hearing this at the time. So the psalmist writes, blessed are you whose delight is in the Torah. We say, man, I love the Torah, right? I mean, who doesn't said that this week? right? I mean, that's me. Yeah, I'm all about the Torah. You know, I can't find numbers. I haven't even read numbers. There's a book in the Bible. Yeah, I mean, okay, blessed are you if your delight is in the Torah. This is not, and here's what's going to happen to some of you who've been church for a long time. Immediately, your guilt is going to kick in if it hasn't already, right? And immediately, here's what you're going to hear. Blessed is the person who reads their Bible every day. Right? I mean, doesn't that gain traction? And I could preach that and make you all feel pretty guilty. And then when we feel guilty, we feel like we've experienced God. And then we go home thinking, man, this has been a good service. I experienced God because I feel guilty. Right? But when the psalmist is writing this, he's saying, blessed are you whose delight is in the Torah. Okay. But you don't have at home a copy of the Torah. You don't have that. It doesn't exist at home. You hear it. You hear it when you come for corporate worship right? I mean, you don't have a copy of the scriptures at home. There's no such thing in this time of what we've now created called daily devotions. That doesn't exist in the time of writing here. And so the psalmist, whatever he's talking about, is not saying, please, everybody be more consistent in personal daily devotions, and then that'll be great. That's not, it's not even in the worldview of the writer at the time, but whose delight is in the Torah. So what does that mean? It means, not unlike, take any kind of any kind of hobby, any kind of affection that is on your heart now. It used to be the Phillies for some of us who when they played baseball, you know, and it worked. For some, it's, you know, I, I love, you, you name it, I love going to the cabin, I love scrapbooking, I love shopping, I love eating, I don't know, I don't know, I like health, I like exercise, whatever it is. Whatever an affection of your heart is that you just delight in conversing about in rotating your life around, in scheduling into your life because you love it. This is the spirit of verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Blessed is the man who's not afraid, not even afraid to, but who enjoys on Monday morning talking about their faith, talking about and reflecting on, man, how am I growing? Who loves engaging with other men and women who say, I'm following God too. Blessed is the man and woman who reflects on the The ideals of God in community with one another, who places the ideals of God in whatever way that's revealed, now the full scriptures, and who takes that and places that in the center of conversation and says, this is something that I like to talk about. Not because I'm going to be a religious fanatic, but I need help growing. What in the world does this mean? When I'm reading this in the Psalms, and how am I growing as a father, as a wife, as a husband, as a single adult? How am I growing in these areas that blessed are you, not who do daily devotions, but whose devotion is the ideals of God? Where this becomes the affection of our heart, and our life just can't help but circle around that. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord, not whose duty It is to read the law every day. Blessed are you whose delight is there. That this, God's ideals, his revealed will in the scriptures. Yes, in the scriptures. And also knowing him is just a part of our conversation. It is a part of my life just like any of my other affections. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. And then he explains what you're like. Verse 3. For he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Amazing imagery. This is an intentional planting. It's a tree that's taken and put there. This is not a seed that is blown in the wind and haphazardly happens to land by a stream. But this is someone who when their heart is fixed on, the, on their affections are for knowing who God is, through his word, yes, their life becomes intentionally planted right there by streams of living water that feed and grow. So in the times of difficulty, in the times of famine, in the times when you lose your job, in the times when you get dumped by your boyfriend or girlfriend, the times when you get sick, the times when you don't make money, all those times come. You're like, man, I, I'm planted here. My delight is still in knowing God and his ideals. I'm planted here. And then he says at the end of that verse, and whatever he does prospers. Whatever he does prospers. Not a promise to be claimed as in, boy, if I read the Bible every day, whatever I do is going to prosper. This is not the spirit of the Psalms in that sense. It's a general truth, a general truth that the prospering and growing is just a part of the character development of the individual. And then verse 4, now we contrast. There are two people in this Psalm. The first is the one who is the blessed. The second is the wicked. And I told you i talk about this. And he says, not so the wicked. They are, like, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Not so the wicked. While the, the righteous or the blessed are like the tree, you can picture the tree easily, the, the image for the wicked is they are like chaff. They're not rooted to anything. They're just blown away. They're the extra part of the wheat that gets kind of shaken in the air and the chaff goes out. Who knows where it lands? who cares where it lands just don't want it here they're like that so the question then becomes who are the wicked and the psalmist the way these psalms are put together the 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 psalmist is intending to compare two people one is the righteous or the blessed one with the wicked um, or sinner or mocker of verse one And the the thing, here's what we learned, the thing that marks the righteous or blessed one is verse 2. The righteous one is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And so, conversely, the wicked people in Psalm 1 are not the people who primarily are marked by gross immorality. When we use the word wicked, we think of genocide, right? I mean, we think of mass evil, like people who are plotting the demise of humanity. Seriously, I mean, people who, that is just... Wicked. We don't use that word except for those labels. The psalmist here is contrasting the wicked with the righteous. The righteous are marked by a delight in God's law. The wicked are marked by a disdain for God's law. They're simply people who don't care what God has to say. It's as simple as that. And and we're not going to walk down the street or go down the the halls of our school and say, man, that's a wicked person. Wicked, 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 wicked. You know That's not helpful. But the point is, the psalmist now is simply comparing, saying the righteous and blessed person is the one whose delight is in the, the law of God, but the wicked person is the one who's not. And so the wicked the wicked people, we think we don't really know too many wicked people. Sure we do. And maybe we have been there. And maybe sometimes, to be honest, maybe we are there. And that is, whenever we say, you know, I. I got a good idea, God. Here's what I think my life is going to become. I'm just going to go for that. And you kind of stop me if it doesn't work, but I'm just moving. And I'll see you in a couple of years when I care more about you. <laughs> wicked, wicked, wicked. But we don't call people wicked. No, I don't have to call them that. This is what the psalmist is saying that anyone whose life is then marked by, I don't need the perspective of God. I don't care about what he has to say. I'm just going to kind of lean into my own wisdom. I'm going to be smart enough to figure it out myself. This is the the wicked. And this is why he says, blessed are you at the beginning. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk, who doesn't walk and then stand and then sit in the council of people who give you bad advice. Blessed are you if you don't hear it and listen to it and do it and hang out and and, and engage and make your life decisions based on advice and perspective from people who have no perspective on God at all, whose delight is not in God's law, but whose delight is in, man, you name it, four-wheeling, delight in the Phillies, delight in my cabin, delight in my money, delight in my future, delight in my career, delight in my girl, delight in my guy. Whose ever heart is set on those things, the psalmist is saying, man, blessed are you if you don't just lean into what people have to say whose delight is anywhere but from the law of God, from God's ideals. Then he summarizes it all nicely in verse 6 as he concludes the psalm. And he says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And I know this is not English class, but the tense of the verbs is very important in verse 6. Okay? For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. That is a present tense verb, meaning happening now. continual happening in the present. The Lord watches over. It's pictured as if he's right there with you, consistently, daily, moment by moment, watching over. But the way of the wicked will perish, tense, future. Meaning that the way of the wicked right now may look good, The way of the wicked, if you will, the way of those who don't follow God's ideals right now may look good and may seem to be successful. But future won't succeed. Future will have no value. But the way of the righteous, God watches over that. So what? It wasn't too many years ago that... um, I like to tell myself it wasn't too many years ago, but it was, okay, it was a long time ago. I'm old, let me just say it. A long time ago, I can barely remember when anymore. Um, went on a hot air balloon ride and uh, had a great time with that. And I uh, enjoyed getting up there and seeing Lancaster County um, and all that it was worth. And uh, you can see a lot when you're on a hot air balloon. Uh, you really can. Yeah, some of you were on a hot air balloon ride recently. Um, it's a beautiful deal, beautiful deal. Now, check this out. If I were to be up in a hot air balloon and I had my cell phone and you could call me on on my phone, and it was rush hour on Route 30, whatever that is, actually, um, and you were to look out your door and you were to leave leave your house and you wanted to travel from here, let's say, over to Landisville or something like that, around 5 o'clock on a Friday. And you're thinking, boy, I don't want to have to go through here. I want a perspective of what's going on in the traffic situation. So you decide, let me go out my door and look. And you happen to live on Route 30. And you look and you look down Route 30. And you even step out into traffic and look all the way up as far as you can see. And you can tell, like, it's flowing pretty well. It's flowing pretty good. It looks like like traffic is clear. Let's make a run. We're going to do it. Just going to leave half an hour ahead of time. Takes 30 minutes to get there. Traffic is clear. You come in and your wife, who's smarter than you, tells you, you know what, Tim's on a hot air balloon right now over Lancaster. You should, you should call him and just kind of get a perspective from what's going on up in the balloon. Like, no, 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 I, I'm fine. Like, I looked. Like, it, it's clear. Like, we're really fine. And you know where I'm going with this, right? And you, you, if you could call me and I could tell you, listen, it's fine where you are, but I just want you to know, up ahead, where you can't see, I can see. It's bad. You want to go around. If you could call me, I'd tell you that. And here's the perspective of the psalmist. Blessed is he who doesn't take advice from, who doesn't live in the counsel of, those who only see what's right in front of them. Blessed are you when you say, God, I need your perspective of eternity past and eternity future. I want your will, your ideals to guide everything that I do. I need you because you see things that I cannot ever see. And the the message, if you could summarize it this way, is simply this. The more I want to know what God wants me to know, the stronger I become. The more that I want to know what God wants me to know, the stronger I become. The more that you want to know, the things that God wants to deliver to you, the things that God sees that you don't see, the stronger you become. It's quite simple. The more like that tree you become, planted in good soil, being fed by the word of God, being fed by God and his desires. And the inverse is true as well. I mean, the less you really care about what God has to say, the weaker your life will become. It's just as simple as that. The less perspective you have, about as simple as that. Now, what what this message is not, I want to clarify, this message is not, and I kind of said this already. the message is not, read your Bible more every day. Please, read your Bible more every day. As we talked about, the psalmist doesn't even have that in view. It's not even possible for his people at the time. It is interesting, however, in 2012, Lifeway Research, under the direction of Ed Stetzer, did a survey of about 3,000 churches in North America, in which they found out this, That 90% of the people in those churches, when asked the question, do you want your life to honor Jesus in all that you do, 90% said yes, absolutely. And then when asked the question, um, how many of you read your Bible on a a daily basis, 19% said yes, I I do that. Uh, Interesting disparity. Less than 20% will say, yeah, I actually do that as a part of what I regularly do. With that being said, here's what we know. None of us, none of us, are really that good at personal disciplines by ourselves. Okay, that's just reality. All of us feel that pang of failure when it comes to I just need to read the Bible more, and that's a, there's a whole variety of reasons for that: confusion, quote unquote, not enough time. That's that's a lie that you're telling yourself. By the way, that time is always an excuse. That's never a real reason. Um, you know, I don't know how to get into it. It's too confusing. I don't have the right, right version. I, mean, I have a Bible, whatever it is. Okay, whatever it is. But here's the deal, this is not a message that says go home and read your Bible every day for the rest of your life and God's going to bless you. It's just not that simple. The, the text says, blessed is a man whose delight, in other words, whose heart, whose affections are set on the law of the Lord, yes, on the ideals, the desires that God has for us. This message goes deeper than read your Bible every day because you and I both know people who know their Bible but are jerks who know their Bible, but are just so insensitive that, seriously, I don't even want to hear what you have to say. This is not just about Bible content. This is about the heart content. This is about the question of our core values. What do my desires tell me about the place of my heart? It's amazing to me. When I look back and I think of what Thomas Jefferson wrote, in the Declaration of Independence. And he said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among those being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is us. A theological statement that I think is true. And you know it, no matter where you're at in life. If you're in junior high, senior high, you're a young adult going through the college age, you're getting married, you've had kids, you're retiring, whatever stage you're in, you know it's true about you. You just kind of want to do the next best thing. Keep progressing, keep growing, making decisions that benefit you. It's just part of how we're wired. And Psalm 1 tells us, hey, in the midst of our lack of perspective, where you can only see here and here, blessed is the one happy as the one, fulfilled as the one, who says, God, you see what I can't see, that my delight, my affections are in you. And that, by the way, means more than simply read my Bible, although perhaps not less than that, but also means let's get involved in community in doing this together together. Meaning that the conversation that we share in small groups, in Sunday school classes, after church, after we greet each other and talk about the weather and the Phillies and whatever hobbies we have, the conversation gradually moves into, man, where is God growing you and how is that happening? That our delights, our affections are in the law of the Lord. It's there that we get perspective. Blessed are you. Your life will be stronger as your affections and my affections continue to be driven back to what in the world that he wants. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the opportunity this morning to look at Psalm 1 and to see again that you are a strong, caring, and loving God who's given us the incredible opportunity to learn from someone who has been where we're going, who sees the future and has a perspective that we simply don't have, who knows things that we don't, who has created us and made us, wired us in particular ways. And I pray for us as people this morning, Father, um, where we are lacking in, um, in perspective and in wisdom, that you would help us to take counsel from those who are delighting in you and in your word, who are knowing your will and your desires who are not in the category of disdain for your word and your truth who don't seem to care a lot about your will or your desires father i pray that you'd help remind us that we will be stronger people as we continually lean into an understanding both of your word and of your character and help us to do that well together as a community to talk to converse, to make our faith become something that was just a part of our days as much as anything else that we do. We need need courage. We need men and women who can lead us out in that and who can show us what that's like in every area of our life. So Father, give us that direction. Give us those reminders. And we're going to praise you for that. We're going to trust you for that. We're going to offer to you our our praise to a God who has said, blessed are you who walk in this way.